you have your Bibles, turn to 2 Peter chapter 3. I'm going to begin there this morning. 2 Peter chapter 3. Father, we're very thankful for this morning. We praise You for Your Word and we look to You for all things. You must give, O Lord, and give abundantly in order for us to receive, in order for us to even know and understand You, in order for us to draw near to You, You must give. O Lord, have mercy on us this morning and help us to know You. Give us light. Give us Yourself that we might discern things and see what is true and what is false. Help us, for we ask it in the beloved name of Jesus. Amen. Well, I was going to call this morning's sermon the supreme patience of God, but I didn't. If you'll notice, if you have a bulletin, if you look at the, head, the heading there, I've, I've titled it the supreme long-suffering of God, and there's a reason for that. Because even though these two words are pretty much synonymous with each other, the one emphasizes what the other does not. And when I use the word long-suffering, and this is actually how the King James often translates it throughout, the word long-suffering really does speak to an aspect that needs to be drawn out. It's absolutely necessary to understand if we're to have the right understanding of patience. I say this because there's no patience without suffering. It's not patience. Just think of it. There's no suffering if you're simply waiting and not exercising patience. Uh, Here's what I mean. When you're waiting for your turn in the doctor's office while you read your favorite book and enjoy it, you're simply waiting. You're not exercising patience. However, if you are writhing in pain and desperately in need of some help and you're doing all you can to endure and wait your turn in line, you're exercising patience. There's a difference. Sometimes you can be waiting, and other times you're exercising patience. And the difference is suffering. And and the longer that you suffer, long suffering, the more patience you exercise. And so this morning, I want us to look at this aspect of God, God's long suffering, the fact that God has patience. You know, God is patient, And by definition, that means that his patience is infinite. Because God is infinite, and all his qualities are infinite and eternal in his very nature. And so when we declare that God is patient, we say that by his very nature, he can suffer a real long time. And here's why. Well, this is why. I want us to see this morning in this passage in 2 Peter, that God demonstrates his his long-suffering when he tolerates evil the way he does. In Second Peter chapter 3, Peter is helping us and reminding the church at the time to put into perspective the suffering that they're enduring. He says, Here, here's how it reads in, in verse 2 and following. You should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior through your apostles. Knowing this, first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires. 
they will say, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. You talk about his coming. You talk about his judgment. You talk about all this stuff. But things seem to be going on just as they've always gone on. So the unbelieving world, often because of this, because we'll often state things about God, and then they look at circumstances and they go, oh, come on. So they laugh, they mock, they taunt, and they arrogantly say things against God and his people as they go about enjoying the comforts of life and indulging the pleasures of their flesh. And even, even David saw this when some was troubled in Psalm 73. He was, if you read that psalm, he's vexed and he's troubled because he looks out and he sees the wicked, the evil, and he's going, how is it, oh Lord, how is it that you, you seem to bless them? They're filled with comfort. They're filled with ease. They're filled with pleasure. And David's saying this is a man who's vexed and troubled and afflicted and persecuted. Look at them. And, and this doesn't make sense, oh God. The only time it made sense, he says, is when I went into the house of the Lord and I saw their end. Oh, okay. Now it makes sense. <clears throat> and you know what? We have to be reminded. In this particular passage, Peter says, I say this by way of reminder. You've been told this before. He says, remember what was told to you by the apostles, what they told you. You remember the predictions. He puts it this way. Remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior through, through your apostles. Knowing, first of all, knowing, he said they've promised that they will come. They've promised that scoffers will come. They promised that this, they, and scoffers, what scoffers do? They scoff at you. Oh, yeah, right, whatever. That's a joke. That's what scoffers do. <laughs> they almost start giggling, belly laughing at, at, at what you declare about God and what God has said. Where is the promise of his coming? They, this, as a church, we're to remember, we're to remember the character and nature of God. That this one, this was going to happen, and two, there's a reason for it. In verse 9 of this particular chapter, Peter gives the reason. So why is this happening? Why is God delaying? Why is God putting up with this? Why does God like tolerate this evil, this wickedness, these scoffers? Why does he? And verse 9 tells us. He says, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness. but is patient toward you, but is patient towards all, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Did you hear that? The Lord is patient. And in his patience, he's delaying so that they would perhaps maybe come to their senses, that they would repent. So God is not somehow forgetting or being cruel to his people or somehow sleeping in heaven while we suffer away, having a few Z's, waiting till the end. He's long suffering. He's compassionate and he's abounding in steadfast love. Listen to how the, speak, the scriptures speak of God's character and what he's like. Psalm 86.15 says, But you, O Lord, are a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger. King James says, long-suffering. 
and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. That exact same expression is used and echoed in Psalm 103, verse 8, as well as Psalm 105, verse 8. The God is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. That's who he is. That's his character. It's his nature. The same thing is declared in Joel 2.13. He says, return to the Lord your God. You know why? You know why you should repent? This is what he says. This is why. For he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. And he relents over disaster. That's who he is. So he says, that's why. Why should, he said, turn to him. Repent. Now is the time. Turn to him. And what, why? Be- because he's compassionate. Because he's merciful. And he's so long suffering and patient and abounding in steadfast love. That's who he is. You know, I love the story of Jonah. Hopefully you guys have all read and you're familiar with the story of Jonah because it is just such a wonderful little story of a reluctant prophet who really doesn't want to do what God has called him to do. He wants them to go to Nineveh and tell them of their, the coming judgment upon them. He wants them to be warned. Go warn Nineveh. But Jonah doesn't want to. And there's a reason for that. Do you know why? Two, twofold. First of all, Jonah hates the Ninevites. Because the Ninevites, this is the capital of Assyria at that time, and they were, they're the ones who attacked northern Israel and Samaria and besieged it. And so he, he also, and the second thing he knew, he knew God. He knew what God was like. And he knew, he was afraid that if they'd hear about his God's coming judgment, that these people actually just might repent. And uh, you know what happened? The worst nightmare happened because obviously we know Jonah ran from God. But God says, okay, I'll get you. You even have to swallow you with a fish. He gets him, gets him back to Nineveh, and the reluctant prophet says, okay, God's judgment's coming upon you and you're all toast. You know, and, uh, and, he, and here's, here's what's great. Jonah chapter 4, verse 2. After he declares God's judgment's coming upon them, the worst thing that ever could have happened happened. They repent. They turn to God. And what does Jonah do? He's whining. He's, he goes outside the city, kicking the dirt, totally frustrated. And this is, this is what he prays. He prayed to the Lord and said, Please, Lord, was not this what I said basically was going to happen while I was still in my own country? Therefore, in order to forestall this, I fled to Tarshish. For I, listen to this, for I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness, and one who relents concerning calamity. I love that. I knew you. I know what you're like. So the reluctant prophet didn't want to declare the judgment because he is afraid these people might repent. And oh man, he knew if they repented, (laughs) the worst nightmare would happen. God would forgive them. Because that's, and I love it. He knows God. Here's Jonah. He knows. He says, I know you. I love it. You're gracious. You're compassionate. You're so slow to anger and you're bounding in steadfast love. 
Jonah read the Psalms. He knew who God was. And I just love that. He, he knows him sometimes better than so many Christians. Just understand his character and his nature. So when God is tolerating and withholding judgment from a people or a nation, it isn't because he doesn't recognize what is going on. Or somehow that he's indifferent to evil. It's because he's willing to suffer evil in order to give them time to repent. That's why. God is long-suffering. And this is connected to this next point I want to make that was revealed in this passage in Second Peter. Is that God's long-suffering should never be counted. We never count that as slowness. Oh, God's just slow. It's never, oh, God just takes his time. Don't equate the two things. And then we're going to see later on why this is so important. God is actually suffering, folks. Don't think God's just slow, you know, he, you know, he's just Mr. Eternal. He's got nothing better to do, so he just waits around. No, God is actually long-suffering. In 2 Peter 3, verses 8 and 9 there, it says, But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill His promise, as some count slowness, but He's patient toward you. But He's long-suffering. So He's not slow as people count slowness. He's long-suffering. So if a thousand years is like a day to God, then a hundred years is like two minutes. Or something like that. Not being a math guy, I'm probably wrong. And if that's the case, when God acts within 10 years to keep his promise, to him it must feel like he's acting every second. What are you, what are you talking about? I'm, I'm a fast mover. Like in his perspective, that's what Peter's saying, in God's eternal perspective, for us what feels like a long time is not a long time for him. And he says, well, wait a second, listen, so God's in a little bit of a dilemma. And if you think about it, he's got his people crying out to him. So they're praying to him, seeking him. And yes, I, I will answer you. But this, we got to hold off because we got to suffer. We have to long, we have to suffer a long time with these people because we've, we have to give them time to repent. And that's what he's saying. But don't count this slowness as somehow God just takes, likes to take forever. No, that is actually God is suffering for a long time. And it's not slowness. In fact, God is operating on a completely different calendar, a t- completely different clock than us. You know, we should, we should not lo- wonder why God delays so much. Perhaps we should wonder why he acts so quickly given the fact that he's eternal. See, finite creatures for us, man, when things are going bad, time seems to slow down. And the day can't even end fast enough. And so whenever we're in trials or whenever we're in suffering, whenever in difficulty, it seems to last way too long. Doesn't it? (laughs) I mean, sometimes the day is just way too long. 
And we think, oh Lord God, we have suffered, suffered so long. He kind of feels like, what are you talking about? It's been like 10 seconds. <laughs> so you got to understand, thankfully, God also understands us. He understands our frame. He understands our perspective. Could you imagine if he didn't? We would never see any answers to prayers because we'd be dead before he ever answered one. Because it just, he operates in a completely different category, a different time frame, but he's compassionate as well. He's merciful, but he's long suffering. He could suffer a long time. So when we pray for God to do something, we have to understand that just because we don't receive an answer right away doesn't mean God is somehow ignoring us or that he's super slow. He's not. He's simply being patient on the one hand and operating according to an eternal perspective on the other. So, here's something else you have to understand. There, with God, because he's infinite and he's managing the whole cosmos, there's a lot going on. <laughs> there's a lot going on. And it's not just about us. He, through circumstances, he can accomplish a thousand purposes. And that's the thing you have to understand. What he's accomplishing in you, and he's accomplishing in me, and he's accomplishing in the evil person, and what he's accomplishing in the world, and what he's accomplishing on the other side of the globe, he's, this is all happening simultaneously. Like right now, Israel has concerns, but so does Dean Helgson. And right now, there's stuff happening with North Korea in the United States, but there's stuff happening in your backyard. And we have troubles and difficulties, and God in his infinite wisdom can manage all of these things and in his patience and long-suffering work things together in a beautiful mosaic that's just unbelievable. But the, our finite minds, they can't even comprehend the concept. I mean, we have enough hard enough time managing our own bedrooms, let alone the cosmos. It, the finite creature comes to the ends of his limits quite often. And we feel the end of our limits. We're like, oh God, no more can I take. I, I, I can't handle this anymore. But he loves that actually. Because in that, then he, his power is made known in our weakness. Then he steps in and does some marvelous things. We have to understand how God works in this world. The fact that he is not slow. He's patient. And he's working a wonderful plan. You know, one of the things I was meditating on this week was how per perfect and how good God's ways really are. And how messed up mine often are. And I mean that with all sincerity. One thing he's teaching me over the years is that it's really not a good thing for me to get my way. Because I, I, have, I can distinctly remember times where I really wanted something. And for some reason, God kept saying no. But I kept pressing and forcing and pressing and forcing. And it's almost like God said, okay, have it. I want to show you something. I, I, I have occasions where it's like, okay, go for it. This is going to be a good lesson. And I get it, and it leaves a bitter taste in my mouth. It's not what I thought. It's not nearly what I thought. And now... Because it doesn't come added with God's blessing, it's something I disdain and don't like. 
And I'm like, oh God, was I ever a fool? Why did I press so hard? Why did I want this? Now that I got this, I don't like this. And yet on the flip side, one of the things that I've observed is so often God's timing is not my timing. God does what God does. And often he has moved me into places and done things in my life that I haven't really liked. But man, does it turn out. It seems to turn out. Just if I just would be wait, if I would learn to wait, if I would learn to be patient, if I learn to submit to his ways, boy, it's so much better. Can you, you can think of this, especially when it comes to, say, if you ever buy a vehicle and you press too hard and got the wrong piece of junk you never should have gotten? Or, or you, or you waited on the Lord and you just patiently waited on the Lord, you waited on the Lord and you got the most beautiful gem you ever could have imagined? That's just a small little example. That's often how it happens in life. Where we press, 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 we won't give up. God say, He's putting no signs all around us, but we want it too bad. We keep pressing, we keep pressing. He says, okay, fine, have that. You know, well, this is lesson time. Man, that was a dumb idea, right? That's what we have to understand. God, God is God. He's infinite and eternal, but He's patient. He's long-suffering. And He's willing to do this for whatever's best. He works things out for best, so he will suffer, suffer for now because the outcome is so much better. Be willing to suffer for now because the outcome is so much better. We have a hard time getting that. We think God is slow. We think God is asleep. We think God is unaware. We think, oh God, what are you doing? Twiddling your thumbs? Do you not observe? Can you not see? Please, oh God. Look at the situation. This is incredibly difficult. You know how troubled I am over this. Look what's going on in the world. Look what's going on in my little world. But God is long-suffering, and He's infinitely wise and good. And our trouble is always in trusting Him. Always. That's what we stumble over. That's what we struggle with. But you know what? The more we get to know Him the more we become more like Jonah who really gets him, knows what he's like, the more that we can actually trust him. And you know what all, all really horrible, difficult situations are? It's the recipe for a miracle. This is exactly how God likes it. Because this is where he shows up and it's clear and it's evident and nobody else can get the credit or the glory but him. Because God does a God thing in our life. He's not slow. He's just really patient and wise. And I want to, I want to kind of trail off this whole thing of being this idea of God being patient and long suffering in relationship to this. Because when I say that he's just, he's not slow, but he's actually long suffering, there's something this means. And I alluded to it at the very beginning. God actually is suffering. God, God just isn't like, just hold on and wait. This is great. But he's actually suffering. And it's important to understand that. In Genesis chapter six, when God flooded, before God flooded the earth, I can guarantee you that if you or I were there, we would have been crying out for years for God to act and to bring judgment. Just listen to what it says in Genesis 6, verses 5 through 6. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth. 
and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth. Another way of saying it, the Lord was grieved that he had made man on the earth. And I think uh, it goes on to say, and it grieved him to his heart. We're not really even, we can easily read over that. We have to understand this grievousness of God. It tore him up. Have you guys ever, you know, as you watch the news and you've seen evil, have you ever been grieved by it? Have you ever been troubled by it? Have you ever been vexed by it? I hope so. Because even in, in, in Peter talks about righteous, uh, righteous Noah, Noah who is a righteous man, or even talks about Lot, Lot who is a righteous man, who was grieved by the sins of Sodom. Whenever you see sinfulness and wickedness, does it bother you? Yeah, it troubles you. And, and we live in an age where you're getting some really good visuals. We live in a time where evil is increasing. And as it increases, does it bother you? Of course it bothers you. And it feels at times it can be like, oh, it's, it, if you look at it long enough and you see what's really going on and you get full exposure like we do nowadays, we get lots of exposure because of the media venues we have. We have it like instantly feeding into our systems, right? Whether Facebook or whatever, Twitter, whatever, Instagram, we've got news and what's happening all around the world coming to us. And so if something evil happens, often we find out rather quickly. And when it really happens, are you grieved? Yes. I think it's best to say you're vexed at times. Oh, oh Lord, how long, oh Lord? How long, oh Lord? Could you imagine? We think it's pretty bad. It's getting bad in America. Imagine this. When God says every, not some, every thought in the heart of man is only evil continually. Every single thought is only evil. That's how bad it was. God's suffering for hundreds and hundreds of years. This evil is just multiplying evil upon evil upon evil. And if we would have saw the evil that every single thought was evil continually, you know what it's like in your own, do you imagine? It's bad enough when you have an evil thought and you have to deal with the evil in your own heart. But can you imagine every single thought was evil continually? And that manifested itself because when the heart is filled with evil, guess what the hands do? They do evil. And evil is manifesting itself. And why is God taking so long? Hundreds of years. All that's left is Noah and his family. And his family, well, they're a little questionable. But They're the righteous ones in the earth. And God is suffering, suffering, vexed. Text says he's grieved. He's grieved. How long could, I want to ask you a question. How long do you think God could, could carry on like this? How long could he, could he go on being grieved? Let me tell you that God could go on for an eternity suffering. Say, how, how, how do you say that? Because his, his ability to suffer long, his patience is infinite. And that doesn't mean that, it, it, that he somehow suffers less. He suffers more than you. So if you, you think, if you're vexed or troubled by evil, 
Do you realize that you're not even holy, holy, holy? You're not so holy and pure that evil troubles you in the way that it troubles God. Righteous, the most righteous and holy God, when he sees evil, it's way more troubling to him than it is to you. And he puts up with that for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years before he brings the flood. But at some point, because God's just not long-suffering, if that's his one attribute, oh man, that would be bad. <laughs> it's like, if all he, I'm just, he's just long-suffering, well, then it would never end. He would just keep on suffering under it, suffering under it, because he's compassionate and full of mercy and is abounding in steadfast love. But you know what else he is? He's just. And he keeps his word perfectly. He promises. He promised that he would bring a son to deliver the world. So guess what's going to happen? A son's going to come to deliver the world. He promises, and so he binds his word. And so because he's faithful to his word, he's faithful and he's just, this stuff all comes to an end. But if he wasn't faithful and just, whew, he can suffer a whole long time. You know, Ezekiel 16 is probably one of the most graphic pictures of what God did for Israel and how Israel treated God. You have to read it sometime, the whole thing, because it's really a beautiful picture. He talks about this as like a romance almost, but his relationship to Israel. He finds, he says, I found you in a dirty, in a ditch. You were naked and you were covered with blood and you were nasty, basically. Nasty, ugly. That's where I found you. You were nothing. You were despised. You were rejected. You were small. You were itty-bitty. And you, there was nothing about you that was attractive. And then he goes on to say, but I took you. And I washed you. And I cleaned you. And I clothed you. And then when you grew up to maturity, and at the age of love, he says, I covenanted with you and married you. And I was yours, and you were mine, and we were together. And then something happened. And I'm going to read for you these verses it's just and you can see and as i read this think about what what if this was if you were the husband and this was your wife and you tell me what kind of long suffering you would need to endure this starting at verse 15 you trusted in your beauty because at this point she's glorious and she's beautiful and the nations are gawing after her you trusted in your beauty and played the whore because of your renown and lavished your whorings on any passerby. Your beauty became his. You took some of your garments and made for yourself colorful shrines, and on them played the whore. The like has never been seen, nor ever shall be. You also took your beautiful jewels of my gold and of my silver, which I had given you, and made for yourself images of men, and with them played the whore. And you took your embroidered garments to cover them and set my oil and my incense before them. Also, my bread that I gave you, I fed you with fine flour and oil and honey, and you set them before for a pleasing aroma. And so it was, declares the Lord. And and you took your sons and your daughters whom you had borne to me, and these you sacrificed them to be devoured. Were your whorings so small a matter that you slaughtered my children and delivered them up as an offering by fire to them? And in all your abominations and your whorings, you did not remember the days of your youth 
when you were naked and bare, wallowing in your own blood. And yet, so he goes on after this, even after all this evil that Israel had done to him, God gives her time to repent. Not just time, God sent people to her and said, please turn back to the Lord your God, repent. Hundreds of years, she just kept on whoring, whoring after the other nations, after other gods, after other people, abandoning the Lord, going away, just playing the prostitute. He actually says, you're worse. You are far worse than even a prostitute. Because uh, he goes on to say the prostitute will usually, you know, get money in exchange for the services. You pay them, he said. And then, this is what he does. He says, not only will he take her back if she repents, he promises that one day he is going to take her back and he's going to make a new covenant with her. Now, you know, that should really, if we could relate to this in any level and somehow understand what Israel was doing to God, there's no question that God is long-suffering. I couldn't imagine a greater suffering than this happening to somebody. And this just isn't like some analogy that he throws out there so that we could understand. This is actually, this is deep, deep pain. Deep, deep suffering. I could, you try to imagine this kind of sin being done against yourself. And yet, in all of it, he suffers, he suffers, he suffers, he suffers. He calls out, he calls out, he calls out, he calls out, he suffers, he suffers, he calls out to her. He would gladly take her back. She would turn to him. Because he's abounding in steadfast love. You know, so when you hear about the evil that is going on in Washington or in Hollywood, or here in Seattle. You know, our patience can begin to wear thin. And we might think, oh man, God is going to pour out His act of wrath real soon. He's going to wipe them off the planet Earth real quick here. Well, let me just say, you have to remember that our God can suffer evil for a long time, and He's incredibly patient. And he's going to want us to continually cry out because he want, he longs for, for people, give them time. God's more like, no, let's more time so that they would have time to repent. You know, God will suffer and God will endure a lot longer than you or I may like. When we're done, we're spent, we're we can't take any more. You got to understand God has an infinite amount that he can go. He hasn't just even started. When we're done, he isn't even at the beginning because it's infinite. And so the, the scriptures say, be, have perspective, understand, know your God, know who he is, know what he's like. And then allow that to bring perspective to your world and all that's happening in your life. I think sometimes we get all God all wrong. All wrong. 
and we're tempted to think that we are the ones who are suffering and God is the one who's simply delaying, taking his time, twiddling his thumbs in heaven, just enjoying the praise of the angels while he ignorantly doesn't understand what we're going through. Nothing could be further from the truth. That's a lie from the pit of hell. He is with you and enters into it with you. It's just that he doesn't operate on the same paradigm. His suffering can go so much further than ours. And his infinite wisdom, he can work it all out in ways that we can't comprehend. All he says is this, remember my promises. Remember my word because I have promised. Believe me, trust me, no matter what you see, no matter what you hear, no matter how much scoffing, no matter how much laughing, no matter how much pain or turmoil in your life, this is just a short period of time time given what I have prepared for you. And God says, believe me. Don't believe your circumstances. Don't believe your situations. When you're in that situation, understand who I am. I'm giving people time. I want to see them repent. And I'm working all this stuff out according to my word, and it's glorious. <clears throat> you know, Doug Wilson recently tweeted, which I thought was brilliant. He says, we serve a God who loves to wait. And so we should love the waiting also. Wow, well said. God waited 4,000 years to send his promised son. And in those 4,000 years, he endured unthinkable pain as he was rejected, rebelled against, denied, abused, forsaken, and betrayed. And then he sends his son to those people. And those people, those very people, perform the same evils to his son. Upon his son. The son was rejected, rebelled against, denied, abused, forsaken, betrayed, beaten, crucified. And yet, the father suffered their wickedness for their salvation. Who can understand these things? I'm going to send my son to these people. For 4,000 years, my people have continually done evil against me. But I'm going to send my son to them to save them. And they're going to do evil against him. Now, can you imagine the pain and the suffering the father goes through as he witnesses what's happening to his son? Again, you have to understand, this is his beloved son in whom he's well pleased. It's his only begotten son. And he sees the wicked and the evil being done against his son and he withholds ultimate patience, ultimate long-suffering for their salvation. And right there, you see, you see, as the scripture says, oh, our God is abounding, abounding in mercy and grace and in, in long suffering and steadfast love. That's who he is. My friends, I want to tell you this morning, we serve an awesome God. An awesome God whose patience is beyond comprehension, whose love 
is beyond comprehension, whose wisdom is beyond comprehension, whose grace and mercy is beyond comprehension. And so all he asks of you in the midst of whatever trial and suffering or whatever you're going through, trust me. Please trust me. Trust me. I know what I'm doing. And I'll guarantee you this. It is going to work out for your good. Trust me. Amen. Father, you are so trustworthy. You're so merciful. You're so kind. You're so good. And we don't even comprehend the levels and the depths of your goodness. We don't understand your ways. Your ways are higher than our ways. Your thoughts higher than our thoughts because they're infinite. And we're so finite. I just pray for every person here this morning, and I ask that you would help them and grant them the grace to know you. Open their eyes that they would understand and know who you are. And as a result of that, they would trust you. They would know that you're worthy of all trust. Oh, Lord, may we walk in the joy of our salvation, no matter what we go through, knowing that you You, the God who suffers long, the God of eternity, is truly working everything out for our good. We praise you and we give you thanks. In Christ, amen.